The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com. Nate uses AKG microphones and headphones. Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art-punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Auld to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at Street Dreams, which covers the mixtape phenomenon and artists like 50 Cent, T.I., and Lil Wayne, who thrived in the medium. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to continue our discussions of Netflix hip-hop evolution documentary series. This week, we're covering season four, episode four, the last episode, Street Dreams, covering mixtapes, 50 Cent, T.I., and trap music, and Lil Wayne. So, general thoughts on mixtapes. I know, Eugene, that you're a music biz guy. You don't approve of bootlegging. Well, it's 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 something that somebody asked me. I did an interview this week, and they were asking me about it. And it was pretty compelling. And they, there's a French uh, radio show, and they were asking how I felt about like they made how Oxbow makes records strange. They said, that, well, now that you're one of the few, you know, you're actually working in a real studio. How do you feel about the rest of the industry? You know, like record labels saying, okay, we'll give you $2,500 to do a record because they know you can do it on your laptop. And I go, it all depends on what you like to listen to. And I consistently turn my nose up at, at, at mixtapes because my, my feeling was that um, if I wanted raw, that's what I go to live for. Mm. But when I sit down in the privacy of my own home or in my automobile, as it happens with California's embracing hip hop, I want it to sound not raw. I don't need, you know, I'm I'm not driving around with woofers in my trunk so that all you hear is the, the metal rattling. I actually want to hear the song. So, um, you know, it's I understand. And more importantly, they all understood that it was a marketing thing. But, you know. There's music and art and there's marketing. And I guess you could say, well, if nobody, if it doesn't make it to the market, if nobody buys it, if nobody's excited about it, I'm sure Albini would say something like that, then you've achieved nothing. To which I say, well, whatever, man. You know, I, I could fart into a microphone and then record that. I could, I could fart into my iPhone, record that and call it a new record, but it doesn't mean you want to listen to it. 
you know, whatever. I, this is a long-term argument about vinyl versus CD, about just audio acuity. But uh, I like my stuff to sound good. Um, so. You know, one thing I think that they didn't really dwell on too much, I think, because it would break the narrative spirit that they were trying to establish is uh, my original introduction to bootlegs was artists, especially rappers, hated it. Because I remember there was a song Brand Nubian had called Steady Bootlegging. He said, it's either an inside job with security sloppy, you know, like having beaten up yep. people that were selling your tapes on the street. It's like, I don't get paid for that shit, yep. you know? And the fact that he said, and also I said, and uh, Garth Brooks will never let it happen, you know? So the fact that that's what they would do to black and hip hop artists and they wouldn't do it to other people. I mean, that was the sentiment. You know, and and also when they were showing when the the tapes were being sold, it's like oh canals, yeah, in Chinatown, I used to buy bootleg movies. I mean, you buy you buy bootleg stuff all through. And I remember you should you could buy it in the on the streets, a certain neighborhood. Well, not in certain neighborhoods. You buy it all over Manhattan, uh, more so Manhattan than Brooklyn. All over Manhattan, you can buy tapes, you can buy movies. Back when you buy uh, uh, cassette tapes or uh, VCR tapes, and then DVDs. And just quickly, just the bookmark for the future, you know, um, that time when they were uh, shaking down mixtapes, they shook down all counterfeit stuff. I mean, there was a time in which, you know, you straight up would not have to go to the movie theater or you preview a movie. Or like friends of mine would say, they would um, sometimes they would go and they would list, they would get bootleg uh, movies so they can preview the movie soundtrack to see whether or not it was worth buying or not. So, I mean, it, 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 the history of bootleg tapes and the music industry and also how special they made it seem to a certain degree I get because the certain time they're talking about, yes, that's true for mixed tapes. But as far as bootleg tapes and hip-hop industry, totally left that out, underplayed it. And I should point out in some of the episodes we've talked about this season that some of these guys – not on this episode. We're totally mixtape mixtape driven. DJ Screw, absolutely yep. a mixtape yep. guy. Um, Three Six Mafia started out doing mixtapes, and before him, them, DJ Spanish Fly in Memphis. Um, I can't remember if Lil John and the Crunk scene was mixtape oriented, but this is something that's been a theme throughout this period of basically late '90s, early 2000s. It was something that was big in regional scenes like Houston. Less so in New Orleans because you had cash money and no limit. And I, I wouldn't be bootlegging those guys uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're smart. But so so they start with this. What they say, of, a kick in the ass from a leg in the boot constitutes yeah. the right to shoot one who takes my loot. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, so they, they, one, point, one, one, one point they made that I liked was that we were effectively shut out of radio. So this is yeah. what we had to do. Hey, okay. I, I like that was the one point that that's one thing that caught my ear that got me to listen and go, ah, okay, all right. And then yeah. that and, that makes sense. And so there was this period of time where there was this truce basically a, a detente between the record industry and the DJs who were putting out these bootleg CDs because they had big audiences. They could get new artists in front of their big audiences by putting them on their mixtapes. So the record companies looked the other way. And I think it's no coincidence that when artists like 50 Cent and T.I. start using mixtapes as an end around for the industry, mm -hmm. that 
right at that time is when it gets shut down. That's not the only reason because this was also around the time Napster happens and, and you know, there's all this tension around intellectual property that was, of course, resolved in the favor of the wealthy and powerful. But I do think it's telling that when yeah. you get somebody like who's a total renegade like 50 Cent, who's already been dropped by Columbia, you know, the industry wants no part of him and yeah. he, he does this end around with mixtapes and, and then gets huge. They want to shut that door, you know, lift up the well, ladder a, after. I mean, this is also part of what, what pissed Prince off that he's like the one, there's one person, one person only who should determine the volume of my output, me. And, you know, the record labels like, well, you know, look, there's a whole ship of things that have that, you know, a whole train of things that have to happen behind your release. We got the marketing, we got the PR mm -hmm. folks, we can, but the reality of it is anybody who knows anything about the music industry, you fundamentally, you get a quarter, right? Spring, summer, fall, winter, you get uh, 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 three months. <laughs> they work your thing three months and whatever it sells in that period, if you're selling, if they look at the chart and at the end of that three months, you're doing really well, then they'll kind of re-up. But otherwise, yeah, you're, you're done. They're not working after three months. If it's just kind of, they're not working. They're not, they don't do development, you know. They try yeah. to collect money, so. Yes, yes. And so, and so it starts with DJs being raided for selling bootlegs, but then it quickly moves into the story of 50 Cent. And... I thought they did a pretty good job of telling the 50 cent story, like how he had done the how to rob stuff to get attention where it's classic. That's a great record. It's, it's, it's classic trolling. It's, it's, I'm going to name check. It's just like Twitter. This is Twitter before Twitter. He's, he's yeah. at, you know, he's using the at sign on all the rappers and like seven, eight rappers responded. I mean, it wasn't just Big Joe, the Wu-Tang Clan. But the thing is, is that Joe, he, because he Big was pun. accessing something that was in the DNA of hip hop, which is battle rhymes and going after people that went down because Puffy, we talked about this a couple, I mean, a while back, Puffy totally weaponized the death of Biggie. Like, oh, let's stop hating here. Oh, oh, wait, oh, oh, when, when you, that's not a diss track, that's hating. And Master P did the same thing. When people talk about the poor quality of Silk the Shocker and the other rappers on No Limit and the production quality, mm. oh, no, no, it's hating, you're hating. That's not, it's, it's hating. So, you know, 50 Cent, if anything, took hip hop back to a period, the way in which you used to make a name for yourself, just like the Wild West. You know, someone's mm. a top gun, you go after the top gun. You know, so yep, yep. like Gene Wilder said, yeah. Blazing Saddles. <laughs> and it's interesting that they, they talk about how the shooting, him being shot in front of his house, spooked off the record industry. They don't mention he had a Columbia album in the can that the track masters, you know, who were Puff Diddy, Puff Daddy guys, who didn't get mentioned at all in this series, by the way, but um, that they had a whole album on him in the can. He had a guest spot on a single by an R&B singer. I can't remember who it was. And after he shot Columbia drops him and he is persona non grata. They also don't mention that it's, it's, and I don't, with the recent arrest, this may not, this may come to be not true, but it's long been rumored that J master J got killed in part for violating the boycott on 50 cent. Cause you know, his few rule and murder incorporated. There's a guy, Supreme McGriff, who's one of the people that 50 cent named. And it wasn't, um, the robbery song, it was Ghetto Quran, where he names the gangsters in Queens by name that got him absolutely blackballed. And supposedly Jam Master J, by ignoring that blackball and continuing to mentor 50, 
sign his own death warrant. Now that might not be true. There's been arrests and there's all kinds of theories and, you know, yet another unsolved hip hop murder. God rest Jam Master J. But anyway, I thought it was interesting that did, they did not flip over that whole, um, you know, scorpion nest uh, under the rock. And they also make it sound like Eminem just has his ear to the street and is picking up these mixtapes and rescues 50 Cent. They don't mention they had the same lawyer and, 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 you know, he gets it hey, to, to Eminem's manager, Paul Rosenberg, and the rest is history. They're always so. sleeping on the lawyers. Hey, hey, that lawyer had his ear to the, he had his ear to the street. That's right, yeah. man. They, they Clive did. Davis I mean, was a lawyer, right? Before he yep, did his little yep. makeover to be yep, the guru. Yep, yep. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And I, and I got to say, but also, you know, but you but you, but you know what's 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 mind blowing to me is that they should fire all those people at There was a, a a story once about a a film executive, and they say, you know, this movie was a big blockbuster hit. They go, we need a movie like that. You know, how these where these guys where they get that movie from? And somebody looks through the the record, Providence, and says, huh? It actually turns out that we had it. And he goes, could you bring me the paperwork for that? And he tracks down through the paperwork which of his executives let released it, called the guy in his office, fired him that second. He goes, you're an idiot. You shouldn't be working here. It seems to me that, I mean, okay, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, hindsight is, you know, 2020. It seems to me the guy gets shot nine times and lives and is generally not a pain in the ass and a producer. You hire that guy. You know, it seems it seems like a no brainer to me. I, I don't understand why it was such a big deal. When, in fact, when 50 was going on about it initially, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? What are you kidding me? What label were you at? Like some Christian label? What do you, what, you know, but it turns out, yeah, it was a reasonable label. And they just thought that was reasonable at the time. Well, I think the fact that Dre and Eminem were in Detroit and LA and not New York mm. is also a big factor. And, mm. you know, they were far away from trouble in Queens. They did not have to worry about Ja Rule's gangster acquaintances at all. And also they had the cachet. At that point in time, they're probably the only people in the world with the popular, with the money resources and the, and the popularity to bring 50 along the way they did. I mean, at that point in time, Eminem's the biggest star in the world. Dre's the biggest producer in the world. They've got all the money backing them. <clears throat> they're free of shoot night and all that bullshit. And so, you know, it's a, it's a DSX machina or whatever. God comes in and rescues this kid. And I was, you know, I was never a big 50 guy. I never liked any of his singles at the time. I was put off by the gangster stuff. I was put off by him being shot, but going back and listening through his, his first three, four albums and some of these mixtapes, I was pretty impressed. I enjoyed this stuff quite a bit, much more so than I enjoyed Eminem when I went back. Hey, hey! If if Kurt Cobain had just winged himself in his suicide and his, I gotta put air quotes around suicide because I I don't believe it was a suicide, but whatever. If he had just winged himself, yeah, if he had just winged himself with the shooting, would you have uh, supported like, hey, well, you gotta drop that guy? He's clearly got problems he needs to address, and let him address those problems. I don't. I think they would have let him keep on, you know. But I, I guess he's already he was, a cash cow. Yeah, I, I guess mean, he was already a cash cow. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But had he OD'd right before? Um, never mind. Not. You know, was it never mind? That was a big one before never mind came out. Yeah, he would have got dropped. I mean, yeah, would have yeah, just yeah. been like Mother Love Bone or whatever, where they, you know, put yeah. it aside and and maybe release it or whatever. But they're not gonna, not gonna push it hard. Yeah, yeah. and also just guys getting shot like 
especially after post Tupac and Biggie, all these executives are thinking, well, Tupac got shot in the studio. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be in this. Jam Master J got shot in the studio. I don't want to be in the studio. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, if nobody wants to be in the studio. Yeah, yeah. And so, any final thoughts on 50 from you guys? I, I, um, there was, when I grew up, um, I was, you know, born actually in Hollis, Queens. And then the first place I lived was in Jamaica. And I remember when I remember drive, when we finally moved to Brooklyn and then we would drive back to see my aunt and, or, you know, family gatherings, there was like a, a, a map um, of in Queens where they would say, that's where Nat King Cole lived. You know, we'd mm. be driving by the James Brown's house. I mean, he had plenty of houses, but one of his houses was there in Queens and it, Billy D. Williams. They would just identify all the black celebrities. It just not, you know, it was a matter of conversation. And I always remember that um, there was this kind of, um, this kind of really well-placed, well-placed pride in these cats who ended up making money beyond just the original, you know, skein of music or, or something. You know, I remember my uncle who was from Texas telling me about James Brown and his radio stations and this mm-hmm. and TV stations. And they were like, loved that he was working it. And I, I sort of feel the same way I find about 50, like what he's done with the TV show. Have I watched it? I got to do the Martin Short character thing, which is like, I don't know you. I don't know your work, but I think you're a genius. I don't watch it. <laughs> we'll probably never watch it. But the fact that he's turned into like a legitimate producer, uh, it, it, may, it makes me happy. What about vitamin um, water? Drink that. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't. That too. I, I don't <laughs> yeah, I it, t- it, it tastes weird to me. You know, I don't. I don't. Uh, there's a weird aftertaste to it that I don't like. But I think he sold his share in it, right? So but, you know, for a lot of money. Yeah, he he pulled the Jay Z, you know, who's selling title to you know, the Square Square Cats now, and uh, you know, de- give it my brand, develop it, sell it. That's I'm I'm really kind of enjoying that two step. Like I mean, what always bugged me about Tupac is that if you're a black multimillionaire, you shouldn't be out in the streets and giving to the place where you're gonna get shot. I don't shot think he was ever a multimillionaire. I, I, I don't, I don't I, think he, I don't think I, he wrote I bet that you anything either. he wasn't. And you know, the thing about Tupac that you bring him up that we overlooked at the time was his movies is what made him a big star. I, yep. I went back and, and, and Above so we missed the, the, that whole angle. Yeah. I, I think as, and, as well, as well as made him the real, real money. He probably made more money from those movies than he did from probably. So Hollywood just, tends to, you know, pay yeah. more upfront, but let's quickly. And get faster. To, yeah. And, and faster. So. Yes. And faster. So they established that 50, Fiddy made himself with the mixtape thing by going around and putting out mixtapes that weren't DJ driven. It was artist driven and and he's biting other people's tunes and beats and, and, and rhyming over them. And it's a whole new game plan. And then they mm-hmm. take us to TI in Atlanta, who's had a record out. We've talked about LA Reed and Babyface and and how they mentored outcast and goody mob and, and the Atlanta scene. TI's in that same pipeline. <laughs> With his his new newfangled trap music, I love that and story. <laughs> it doesn't sell. It only does one hundred eighty something thousand, and they're writing him off. And you know, you know, didn't wasn't a hit big in Atlanta, but sorry, kid, he can't do anything. He writes a new wave of songs, and, including twenty fours, and they put him out as mixtapes because they're following Fifty's model, and. L.A. Reid drops him 
Like he asked him for a million dollars. He's cocky enough. Right. Two million. Say, hey, he has it for two no, million. No, he asked him for one million. He ends up getting two million from oh, right, right, right. when the, and then when, he they, said, when they and come and back. LA, LA Reed says a great, great, greatest line ever. He goes, I'm gonna give you what you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna let you go. Yeah. Classic music biz uh yeah, legend. Yeah. And, and that was great. Yeah, and and they, they go around the record company because of their mixtape success. And it was generous of L.A. Reid to let him out of his contract because this is the kind of story where yeah. over and over record companies yeah. will sit on an artist just just cause because they don't want somebody else to have them. And they don't like yep. they don't want to have that situation where I couldn't make a hit on this guy. I don't want to be yep. embarrassed by somebody else. Yep. So they'll just squelch it, you know. Yep. And and, you know, that's happened over and over again. And so so this was a fun one. And and trap music. Because I first heard T.I. with Rubber Band Man because I was listening to hip-hop radio around that time. That was the same time Kanye's coming out, Mike Jones is coming out. So many of the things we've Mike been Jones. talking about this year were all on, on FM radio in Austin at that same time. And I didn't realize there were all these different subgenres because I haven't pay, paying any attention. And, and, and so I don't get the difference between Little John and T.I., at all. I don't get the difference between crunk and trap. I don't get the difference between Mike Jones and that whole Houston screwed scene and trapped, you know, and, and, and I certainly don't get what Kanye's doing. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but I don't know any of the background. So it's totally fascinating to me to realize there's like four different regional scenes that all hit in the early two thousands. And which one survived and thrived trap. Yes. Trap is the one that's, that's become, the thing, although I saw a fascinating thing on crunk core. Have you ever heard of crunk core? It was it was a, a, a micro genre from the MySpace. Is it era. a mix of horrorcore and crunk? <laughs> no, it's a bunch of white Sammy people the high, yeah! <laughs> that are essentially punk rockers, but they don't have instruments anymore. So their musical model is Lil John and crunk. But they're punk rockers, so they like the whole yelling and 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 punk yeah. thing. And 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 it was a very short scene. But supposedly there's a whole new scene that's 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 copped their I, whole thing. I, I, I thought it was I, I thought it was cheese ball. I mean, I understand it was like it was uh, it was a trap. Punk or a trap? Trap? No, no. It was it was a trap museum. But I thought it was che- cheese ball them filming his segment in the trap museum. It's he like, probably insisted on that. I know he probably insisted it because he doesn't yeah. want people to come to his house. Well, that too, but he also wants people to go to his trap. Charge tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and yeah, trap is totally fascinating. I mean, they, they DJ Tim, you know, explained the trick they did with the drum machine to get that yeah, sound. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then I always thought that 24s and, and Rubber Band Man had the same producer because they both have those big, heavy... Uh, 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 kind of epic keyboard things, but totally different producers. So David Banner on Rubber Band Man and DJ Toom on on the other one. But anyway, I, I don't know. Trap is one of those things I didn't realize it was a distinct genre until like two years ago because I haven't been paying any attention at all. But but all the stuff, all of your Takeshi Six Nine and Extension and Little Peep even, yeah, all yeah, that Freddy stuff. All the SoundCloud hip hop seems to be um, from trap. So, you know what I was thinking? I actually bought uh, the Pop Smoke record. Mm. And I was thinking, like all these cats, all, yeah, yeah, with, <laughs> yeah, with all this kind of like 
violent imagery. It's like, bro, you talk, he's he got the song uh, something about back, back, packing back the gun or something. I can't something about guns and he's you know, and he's making. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Check your tone. And, and, and like, yeah, and it's like, hey, you got that shot. Shit. Yeah, you got. Yeah. I mean, it's like him and, and Biggie, and then I started to think they got shot, but they, I got it. They got shot in California, and I remember right after I got in here from New York, I was back when I used to eat at places like Jack in the Box. I was at Jack in the Box, and there was some fool there kicking up some dust, and he was from. He said, "I'm from New York. I'm from New York," and I could see that he was taken in by the palm trees and the otherwise, you know, plangent locale and not realizing that he was about to get fucked up. And I think it's just like, you know, the like he's like the plane lands in LA and he sees the trees. He's like, nobody's gonna try to jack me here. Biggie's like, oh, those fools are not gonna try because bad I remember a girl took me to the Western edition and goes, this is a bad neighbor. In 1981, I didn't see burned out cars. Yep. I didn't see packs of wild dogs. There were houses, Western, right? Were they houses? <laughs> yeah, Western, of Western, project Western, buildings. Yeah, yeah, Western Edition looked nice to me. So I was like, maybe it's just that these East Coast cats under underplay the West yep. Coast, and that's why they keep getting killed here, you know? So don't know. They don't play or DC maybe, too, because the number of times they get shot in DC as well. But I'm from New York, it's like, yeah, you're gonna bleed well, like someone from New York. Someone. Well, there was there, hey, there was some hard. There, there's that great club in North Carolina, which is just a hole in the wall. But everybody's played there. I can't remember the name of it. And I said to the club owner, we played there, and he was like, "I'm gonna walk and get something to eat." And he's like, "You you shouldn't do that." And I go, "No, I'm gonna walk and get something to eat." And he was like, "I had some guys here from New York too." And they thought, hey, we're from New York. We're pretty tough. And they walked down to that rib joint that I'm telling you to go to. And a car drove by him. The guy was, stop, backed up. Give me your wallets. <laughs> Pointed a gun out the window. And they're like, oh, no, come on, man. He's like, click, click, give me the wallets. <laughs> and they threw the wallets in through the window. And he drove off into the night, you know. So you got to, I guess maybe, I, I don't know. I, maybe you can't get the guns on an airplane. But uh, mm. if you come from come from New York, you gotta be, you know, you can get guns in an airplane if you declare them. Fun fact, you know, yes, yes, I, yes, yes I have yes. a firearm, and they'll give you a box, and you ship it, and then they'll treat you like you're James Bond or something. So, mm. yeah. The other thing I had against Trap was I just saw it as a, another iteration of Gangsta, and didn't yeah. realize it again that it was distinct and apparently because it's more detailed and more accurate in its in its criminal detail um but i mean what's the end of of this lionizing criminality there's I mean, no end it, yeah it just there's no yeah. end i mean because it's it goes back to the jay-z thing we talk like uh you know uh when we're dming about you know jay-z and who was into him and who wasn't and the only person i recall that was into jay-z other than a guy from houston was this Ethiopian 40-some woman who was a manager of a famous uh, 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 artist. And she was like, the thing you don't understand with JC is he's telling these women not to be hoes. He's telling them about how to conduct themselves. Like, they've been saying that shit for the past 20 years. It's nothing new, you know? So I think just like gangster movies, you know, mafia movies, Porn. I, I don't see that. And, and one quick thing, yeah. And one quick thing too is, um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but 
I was wondering, once I started driving and listening to the radio, right, again, I noticed just how many songs dealt with strippers and drugs and the club and all this kind of stuff. And I asked someone uh, who was uh, in their teens, I said, I don't understand, like, late teens, all this music, like, it's just always in the strip clubs. And I just, not to sound like a prude or a square, which I am, but I just don't understand. She said, well, what happens is, you go to the strip club and you hear the songs and you want to play it, you know. And then I was like, oh, my God, if I talk to someone else, and they were like, remember all those payola laws for the radio? Don't apply to strip clubs, right? So in terms of being able to pay DJs and have stuff played regularly and getting hooked mm-hmm. on something. So, again, yeah. I just think we talk about the, the under, you know, the gangster element or whatever. That's always going to be a part of uh, uh, sort of pop and pop music, not just hip hop. For a guy, a guy like me who's been in in the adult industry for for many years, I just have never dug on strip clubs. <laughs> I've had I've dated women who were strippers, but I just never I go there to pick them up. But I was like, I'm not hanging out here. It just yeah. I always identified with the women, the stage performers, the performers, and yeah. I just. No, yeah, sure, you go in there because it's funny. I mean, you go in. I had a friend that was addicted to strip clubs, yeah, and and I think it's yeah. a cultural thing too because he that's what they would do. It's like, Alexi, come on, let's yeah. go to a club, man. And you go in there, and it's just like I don't want to touch anything. I don't want anyone touching me. And then you see the guys yeah. staring on stage like losers. And the women looking at them. It's looking at the just, dudes' faces that yeah. that cured me of that forever. Just like ugh, ugh. You, you look at yeah. it from the world. Flavor, flavor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. freaked me out about about being around Bill Clinton when he was president was every woman around had mm. that dude in the strip club look on her face. And it was, yeah. it was very disconcerting. Yeah. But anyway, we're out of time for this segment. So we'll come back and we'll talk about little Wayne and how he used mixtapes to become the rapper, Robert Criscow's favorite rapper. So like critical, critically lauded little Wayne because of his mixtapes. And it's also a collector's Trump. nightmare. Yeah, indeed. Yes. A Trump man. Anyway, that's it for this half of the street. This industry niggas is starting to look like something to eat. I snatch Kim, tell Puff, you want to see her again? Then jazz down to the nearest ATM. I have dreams of fucking the R&B bitch. But I wake up early and bounce with all the shit when I apply pressure. Son, it ain't even funny. I'm about to stick Bobby for some of that Whitney money. Brian McKnight, I could get the nigga anytime. Have keep sweating, staring down the barrel of my nine. Since these Harlem world niggas seem to all be fam. I put the gun to call Dan, tell him, tell your man, Macy. And now a word from our sponsors. and we're back in our discussion of Hip Hop Evolution Season 4, Episode 4, Street Dreams. We've discussed the boom and bust of gray market mixtapes in the 2000s, really more the boom. We'll get to the bust at the end of this segment, and how 50 Cent and T.I. used the format to launch himself to stardom. Now we're going to turn our attention to Lil Wayne, who's been discussed on this series before as one of the hot boys, part of the Cash Money label in New Orleans and how he used mixtapes to make himself the greatest rapper alive. So I'm assuming everybody here is a big Lil Wayne fan. 
from Funny back in the old school days. That, as I came in the house, some uh, cut that he did on a mixtape with Bun B came up oh, on wow. my shuffle. And it there reminded me of a, a life's meandering crossroads. I was at uh, AES in LA, American Engineering Society, right? Uh, sound engineers and producers do these trade shows. And I'm having dinner with the guy from um, uh, Autotune. And the guy starts talking about this little weird cat who we got him Autotune and he's just like breaking it, you know? And and I go, what do you mean breaking it? He goes, you know, it's it's a pitch adjustment supposed to get you on the right one. And he's just like, you know, it's like plastic surgery. People are not supposed to know you're using it, but we had this little guy and he's like, he just like broke it, you know, just like, you know, distorted it. I, I guess maybe people like that kind of stuff. I don't know. And of course the guy he was talking about was Lil Wayne. <laughs> and I was like, Lil Wayne? I've never heard of him. I mean, at that point in time, we were talking, mm. um, actually at that point in time, what had happened is I had just gotten a, um, a, a PR tape. It was a CD with a, a white stuck on label, the cheapest looking shit, a jewel, a crack jewel pack. And it was uh, uh, bling bling. Wow. So, yeah. The early days with Lil Wayne and classic the way an artist misuses his tools. Like, you know, the engineers make these perfect, pretty little toys think they're going to be used in controlled ways and you know and he, well it's interesting turned... his two his two big clients were of course the red hot chili peppers oh and, yeah, to get that and, and there of course made, right because suddenly like anthony kiddies can sing and can hold a note whereas he could never could do that before so that's a standard yeah, yeah, yeah. correct usage of it and then of course little wayne went you know did the more creative thing and just goes i'm gonna jack this up and see what it does so make it an instrument and so you know they, they zero in on the show they go back to manny fresh the new orleans um beat king and cash money uh producer and he's like you know we needed somebody because juvie had left the label everybody's failing miserably miserably we need somebody to step up and little wayne you know the thing is they don't really go into this i, I guess they talked about in the previous episode but he'd had a platinum solo album and then his mm -hmm. next one kind of went almost platinum then his next one went gold so he's kind of fizzling and you know, they do the Carter, and as Manny Fresh said, he took it serious, serious. And people started to notice him. But, you know, Lil Wayne was like, I still, something's missing here. I need something more. And that's when he reached out to DJ Drama and starts doing these mixtapes. And, like, I think the moral of the Lil Wayne story is, and this is one of those stories I heard, like, in my Anthropology 301 class in 1990 or whatever, but that there was an experiment where, a pottery, there were two pottery classes. And one teacher tells the students, you're going to be graded on the quality of your work. Do not turn in anything subpar. I want everything you to do, you'd make to be your absolute best. Make a masterpiece. I don't care if you only make one item, make it a masterpiece. And the other class, I told them, look, you're going to be graded strictly on quantity. Do not even bother with quality. Just churn the crap out. <clears throat> and sure enough, at the end of the semester, which class do you think had the better work? To churn it out. Exactly, because they learned their method, you know, yeah, and they, they yeah. practiced and they, and they did it. And that's the thing with Lil Wayne is the volume of, mm -hmm. of stuff he did. Like he did a thousand songs in 10 years. And that doesn't even count the, I think, another 800 guest appearances he did. Mm -hmm. So, okay. All right. I'm going to have to go back to the Steve Allen joke, right? Which is like Steve Allen's written more than 5,000 songs. 
Name one. Boom, boom. <laughs> but uh, you, yeah. you got to have talent. That's the thing. Like not every band that went to Hamburg and played 10 hours a night became the Beatles. In fact, only one band that did that became the Beatles. You got to have the talent. And and then, you know, the whole thing. And Alexi, I know you're going to love the, the way that Lil Wayne, when he sees the throne of the best rapper alive, he compared himself to your boy, Jay-Z. Oh. Who, by common acknowledgement, had the title before that. So... <laughs> And also, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but in the early 2000s, you know, Jay was at the top of the game. Some of us were hip to it, even if others maybe were missing it's, out. It, on the, on the it's game. weird. My, my mother has a un, like just like a, a Drax, Drax a Destroyer-like hatred of Jay-Z. And I've never really been able to get to the bottom of it. But I think she it starts with... Uh, the drug uh, dealing. With the hack. And the yeah, capitalism. Yeah, more the drug dealing that she, you know, that's the capitalism. Yeah, she came later. The aggressive capitalism came later, but the the, the spear point seems to be the drug dealing. She's not forgiving him for that, really. So, you know, and, that, and that's and that's and that's fair enough. And and you know, one thing I think they left out in this, like the way they tell it, is Wayne starts putting out these mixtapes to get a bunch of attention. People start noticing the his ability and his lyrical ability improves and improves so that when he starts declaring himself the greatest rapper alive, people are like, yeah, okay, maybe he is. What they don't mention is like the 800 guest appearances he's, he's doing. It's not straight underground. He's also on, you know, Destiny Child Records. He does a Madonna record at one point. He's, he's working with Outkast, Fat Joe, Rick Ross, Drake. So it's this two-prong strategy that only one, one prong of that fits into their narrative. But nonetheless, um, you know, I don't think you can argue with the success. It, it definitely I think, worked. You know? I think that's what's phenomenal about this guy is actually how, I mean, compared to any of us right now, compared to how long he's he's been doing it, you know. Um, for example, uh, you know, I don't know enough about his personal history to know whether, uh, whether or not he went to college or whether he finished high school, but I know he's been yep. doing this since, since before high school. And so that his, that, that his, lyrical content tends to be um you know like alexi i think had brought up before that uh lyrically uh, kanye has gotten a lot less interesting since his mother died yeah. and maybe she was ghosting some of his stuff but uh, unless he's got you know a ghostwriter that the, the wordplay for somebody who's relatively unschooled is 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 clever i mean you don't need to be a genius to write i love you yeah 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 but to do it again and again and again, the quantity argument, and to do so at a certain level of uh, proficiency, uh, that's pretty That's pretty impressive. You could take 20, 30 people from a similar circumstance. Uh, I mean, you know, where's Hammer? That's outside, outside, outside of hanging out at my gun range, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, his rhymes are known you know for deep multiple level metaphors and yep, you know the yep. people that geek out on that kind of stuff go all the way to town on Lil Wayne stuff yep. and there's so much material uh to work there with but they also don't go into and I know that I don't have any beef with them not including this you know this is about the beginning of the arcs and how people got started they don't really get into the decline and fall but He's another one of these guys that a jail sentence is what broke his creative rhythm, you know, and 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 it was again a bullshit weapons charge where he's got a, a history of of beefs with the police that are mostly trumped up or bullshit, and then he goes to jail for a weapons charge, which, you know, I, I'm not a fan of that. But I also don't mention 
his rebirth album. Have you guys ever heard this? The um, rock album he did right at the peak. Right I remember he when jail. he was going to do I, it, but I hadn't listened I, to it. Yeah, I remembered yeah. it, but no, me not listening to it was purposeful. <sighs> yeah, it's and if you no, want, you don't, I don't, you, don't guys... you don't you don't see the guy from Oxbow trying to do hip hop. Okay, so. <laughs> exactly. But if you watch that Carter documentary that has been released, retracted, released, retracted again because Lil Wayne, I think, is uncomfortable with the amount of syrup it shows him drinking in the mm-hmm. in the documentary. But I think he comes across really likable, really intelligent, insanely hardworking. Like at this point, all the guy was doing was rhyming, yep. recording, and touring. I mean, yep. and drinking syrup, you know. But they um talk the hubris is palpable in that because there's a scene when he's talking about, you know, I'm not just going to rhyme over other people's beats anymore. I'm going to start making my own music. And it shows him like, cannot play guitar at all. And don't remember when he was on the country music awards with kid rock. I know y'all haven't missed a CMA award show in the last 20 years. Like, but, but like 2007 or eight, he was on there with kid rock playing guitar. And it was, I thought it was like a John and Yoko style, like just a you know F you put on because he's up there trying to strum his guitar and can't play at all. And this is skateboarding stage, right? When he was yeah, was, yeah, yeah. But you see, you see, Nate, you're a guitar player, right? So it all somebody. I know. I have friends. My in, seven year old would tell. Like I have friends in, play band, at all. in bands who are solely in bands because of their stage persona. And they really can't play. Well, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I know who you're thinking of. And he played on the first record and has been, you know, a performing part of the stage act for many years. That hasn't, but yep. Wayne was not, Wayne was insisting that people hear this. And he did this at a few live gigs too, where he came out and, and played. So, I, you know, I think there was just an element of, wow, I'm good. It's like the beat. It's like when Paul McCartney just decided he could direct movies, you know, mm. like, you know, like, <laughs> boy, am I good at one thing? I must be great at everything, and nobody was around to tell him. Uh, well, you know, when Sir Prince Paul. when Prince directed his movie, and people asked him years later, he said, "Look, somebody offered me ten million dollars to direct a movie. I'm going to direct a movie." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, you're right. Like, whatever kind of crit- criticism I had of him, like, why the fuck would he do that? I was like. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I like that movie. I mean, <laughs> which, 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 under the cherry was it? What, graffiti Bridge or Under the Cherry Moon? Well, hold on. This is, we're talking wait, wait. day and night here. Under Cherry Moon is serviceable. Graffiti yeah. Bridge is uh, completely graffiti bridge is the one he crazy. You're right. Yeah. 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 You're, you're correct. And, and that Under the Cherry Moon. Who did that one? He had a professional director, but I believe he was basically putting himself in the director's chair. No, pr- the yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Prince, Prince is given the director credit for that. Okay, yeah, well, uh, it was, it was. I serviceable. dug it. I mean, I, I like the yeah. fact that it was black and black and white. I mean, yeah, there was elements too. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, yeah, I watched. But, we watched but, it over and over again. My senior year of high school. Right <laughs> um, but Graffiti yeah. Bridge was crazy, and and also the. The uh, the homoerotic overtones with uh, he's cavorting in the bathtub with Jerome hanging out there. That was one of those scenes where you kind of whoever I, I think I was watching it with somebody. I can remember we just look at each other like, eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I've know, these days that scene is pioneering. I've, I've, I've taken a lot. I've taken a lot of baths in my life. 
Never one with my buddy cavorting about outside the bathtub. Well, well you know, whatever. your homophobia whatever. is your own issue. You got to work out the time you're doing it. My buddy, my buddy, <laughs> I wherever I go, he goes. <laughs> I like my to- toilet private. That's all I'm saying. Uh, that's, that's admirable, admirable, admirable. <laughs> and so um, anything else we need to cover on Little Wayne? No. Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, how come we're not touching the Trump thing? Uh, uh, the Trump endorsement? Because yeah, it's so late. I mean, we could get into the whole split with cash money, and there's so many other things. Although it's okay. funny for a guy you know, who did a track called Black Republicans on one of those mixtapes. But that's the other thing about those mixtapes. They also don't talk about how, like, you know, the Drought 3 is recognized pretty consistently as the greatest mixtape he ever did. And if you look at what he's actually doing, and they don't really make this explicit, is this is a mixtape in the old school sense in that mm. it's the hits of the day. I mean, you know, it's got stuff by Kanye, Jay-Z, Nas, Mike Jones, Young Guns, DJ Khalid, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's just Wayne is rapping over their beats. Mm. Like, and, and his mm. method was to sit there and listen to the hip hop radio station he liked and say, I want to do that one. <laughs> his dude would, you know, bite the beat to it, wipe the vocals and Wayne would go over it, which is, awesome in a way i mean it's like imagine if frank sinatra was sitting around the 1940s every time a new perry como record drops he's just i'm just going to sing over his backing track you know and and i guess at the time they were putting out their own versions you know if somebody had a hit like every other singer would put out a version so it's kind of a throwback to that and if you listen one thing i did prepping for the show was listen to like black republicans by lil wayne versus black republican by nas and he's holding his own at a minimum with every one of these guys. I mean, it's, mm, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty palpable. Um, and I think it's just really interesting, but that brings us to the inevitable bust of what's going on. And so, you know, they, they shift to, um, you know, what goes on with G- DJ drama and how one day he goes to the studio and the SWAT team is there and the helicopters and they're pointing M16s in his face and they're talking about it as counterfeit CDs and, you know, it's a RICO prosecution, et cetera, et cetera. What they don't get into though is just massive. But first thoughts on the whole mixtape bust. Uh, um, Yeah, man, that's a, <laughs> was a matter yeah. of time. That's the thing. I, I, I'm surprised it took so long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's strictly because, he had so many allies in the industry. Like there were powerful people at Atlantic records, like NPR did a story looking back at this in 2019 or 2020. And, you know, they had quotes from some of the execs at Atlantic records. And I was like, no way, like busting him is, is killing the golden goose. Like this is the, the goose that's laying the golden eggs. Do not mess with this guy, but they don't get into the volume of cash. This guy was making, like he was making like 50, 60 grand a month. Because he's not paying anything to license the songs, he's printing them up for like fifty cents each, selling them for ten dollars, you know. So he's rolling into big money. Plus, they don't go into he signed a major label deal. Like he was the day he got busted, he was about to start working on his major label debut. Um, you know, so he got big. I mean, he he was doing you know media. He. He's very much he like made, a Teflon Don or something. Sausages like, you know, on godly. plates. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He made you just made a connection there that is, was no, noteworthy when uh, 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 in uh, Godfather when he goes, 
this wouldn't be the actions of a friend. Like you have the judges in your pocket, like so many, and this wouldn't be the actions of a friend if you were to, to deny me. You don't realize that the only reason gr grift and graft work is if you spread it around. Mm. You know, I mean, the labels, you know, none of that would have happened if you, if people were getting big. And I don't say, I don't say, you got to pay them a lot. People sometimes feel happy with a little, but zero. Nobody's happy with zero unless they're one of those people who's got a plate full of, you know, 3,000 sausages. And even those people, you know, are like, what are you going to treat me like I'm a cheap whore? Nothing? Nothing? No, nothing gets you nothing. Or in this case, M16s and a trip to the Stony Lonesome. Yeah, but he didn't go to jail. What they did was they took all his money yeah, and they deferred a, that, the prosecution. And so they can prosecute him at any time should they choose to. And I don't know that there's a statute of limitations on that. And he's back in the business. He's an A&R guy, I think, with Atlantic Records now. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, but anytime they want to, they can go back and charge him. And they just drained uh, all his bank accounts. Like, supposedly, he watched it happen on his screen, you know. And also, multiple attorneys, not, I don't know about for him, but I know that other mixtape producers had tried to cut deals with the labels. And the mm -hmm. labels would not do it. It was very much like when disco DJs started um, trying to record their sets. And there was an early DJ or club owner in the 70s who was like, I want to sell copies of the sets my DJ's playing because he's blending records. And, you know, it's not just the songs that he's playing. It's like what he's doing with the records. I want to do this and tried to pay royalties to the record companies. They were like, no way. And then they would put out compilations albums of the dude's DJ set list, you know? And it wasn't so, until so DJs became a big thing in the 90s that, oh, now we can cut deals with you and we'll do this. So these mixtape guys were seen as beneath contempt and not somebody you could do business with. I think the record labels liked having that gray market yeah. thing. So they had this power to pull the plug yeah. on them, you know? Two, two, two things. One of my favorite intellectual uh, property pieces has to do with uh, a front of the house guy, a sound guy. And he got fired in the middle of a, like in the beginning of a show, right? During sound check, he was screaming at the band. The band wasn't getting along. The band did the Hollywood thing where they just kind of whispered to somebody. Some, you know, flunky goes shuffle, said, hey, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to go another way with this. So you, you, you let me go? And they go, yeah, we'll let you go. And the guy goes, uh-huh, okay. And right as he grabs his bag, takes his hand and wipes the board, which if you don't know what that means, all the levels that they spent all day getting that sound check, he just zeroes them all out. He goes, that was my mix. <laughs> and walked out of the building, bro. You know, so all the last three hours of work, mine, I'm leaving with it. So that, that, uh, that was a great one. Another one was Teddy Streleski, who took a claw hammer and murdered a Stanford professor who was his thesis advisor, who he said drove him crazy, sent him to jail. They're about to let the guy go. And they say, okay, you sign this. The conditions are your parole. Or you can't hang around Stanford. He goes, oh, whoa, you mean conditions of my parole? He goes, continuation of, he's like, I, I don't like that. He said, well, then you're just going to have to serve your full sentence. He goes, so be it. <laughs> Goes back to jail, serves out his full sentence, didn't want to have his uh, freedom impinged on. And if I were that guy at Atlantic now, I'd be like, you know what, do what you got to do, but I don't want this hanging over my head forever. You know? Again, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's good legal advice to lots of people that get into the system. You know, if once they got you on that probation, parole, yep. drug test, yep. inspection, your house, like, you know, a lot of the hardcore folks say no. Yeah, you know, do your time. 
make have yep. a clean break and get out. But since this is the last episode of the series, let's spend five minutes <laughs> talking about um, the overall series arc. And where do you think if they do another season, what would you like to see them cover from? And it would be the 2010s. Drake um, well, Amigos. I mean, there's. Oh, no, there's no, a... no, sorry. I, I got two words for that. And then I, and I can shut up after that. Slick a Rick. Mm. Well, that's going back. That's if they go back. But I'm talking if they I don't, continue. I don't, so care. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care. That's it. That's yeah. what I need. That's it. <clears throat> well, if, if you guys agree, and we go on and do this Metal Evolution series that the same pro- producer made, although he's in the background on Hip Hop Evolution, in the Metal Evolution, he's front and center on camera every episode. But what they did with the hip hop series, I mean, the metal series was they did, I think, eight episodes on VH1 and they did not cover extreme metal. They did not cover death metal. They didn't cover black metal. They didn't, you know, yeah. And so the fans were like, what? I looked for this and I couldn't find it, man. You gave me the wrong, you gave me the title. No, I'll I'll give you the right link. So I'll give you the right link. It's on Amazon. It'll cost you a little bit of money. And there's also a free version because they did a, there was so much uproar wanting that extreme metal episode that there was a GoFundMe and they GoFundMe a metal episode that's free on YouTube, an extreme metal episode. So maybe we could do it, you know, somebody could do a GoFundMe, organize a thing and get these guys to do a whole episode on that era of hip hop they missed between Bambada and Run DMC, which, you know, Houdini, Slick Rick, Dougie yeah. Fresh, I mean, the whole West Coast scene. I should also note and uh, notify you that your life has been threatened as a result of Again? daring to t- daring to take on heavy metal. <laughs> so, I mean, what what about heavy metal? Like I played in a heavy metal band. Like that's that's <laughs> what I said. That's what I said. I go no, Nate's played guitar in a metal band. What are you talking about? They were like, yeah, like me talking about hip hop and dance music is a stretch. Me talking yeah. about heavy metal is my hometown. So yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Just, yeah. So yeah, anyway. but um. You know, How about you, although, Nate? What would you like to? What, where would you like to see them go? Well, I would like to see them cover that period. I mean, Mantronics, the whole oh, yeah. you know electro style that they just you know it's like as if Planet Rock was the only. That's a whole fucking genre of music, yeah. you know. And and um, but for the 2010s, I'd like to see them talk about SoundCloud rap and mumble rap and that mm. whole scene and the, and people like you know Extension and all these guys who died at 19 and 20 and 21 um, little peep and like, how the fuck is he? Cause he's not hip hop in any way. He's a, you know, emo guy, but he comes out of the SoundCloud rap scene, you mm-hmm. know, and, and does duets with extension uh, uh, posthumously. Future. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. Future. I mean, and then Kendrick Lamar. A special I episode that- on the flute, how the flute yeah. exploded. There was a summer of, of, of flautism. Yeah, and then Flo Rida. I mean, you know, and and I I want to argue that Kendrick Lamar is the Bruce Springsteen of hip hop, like because I think mumble rap is the punk rock of hip hop, where they throw away, they throw off the chains of virtuosity and all these expectations that if you haven't studied, you know, Rakim's every utterance for the past fifteen years, you should not even be getting anywhere near a mic. Did you hear what Erica Badu's take on it? Where she was like, "Well, the fact is, teenagers." who they're trying to target, you know, for the hip hop audience. They like sounds and tones. So mumble rap taps into 
the whole tonal yeah. attraction as opposed to words and like words that form sounds. And it's just, it strips all that away and just goes straight to the tones. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I also I came up with another theory to add on to what we were talking about how come these New York cats now are going to West Coast and keep getting shot, right? Mm. And another one, my other theory, like I'm specifically Pop Smoke, my other theory is that um, he's young enough where the New York that he knows is different from the New York that I know. I still, even they, and they, the LA Police Department came up with a report about him being shot. That he would they caught home him invasion. in the yeah home invasion, yeah. but they caught him in the shower. And I was like, and because every shower I take, even to this day, I got a weapon on the yeah. <laughs> I'm crazy that way, but I lived through 70s New York and it's just, it, you know what? It just, it just makes me feel better. I've never had to use it, but I just feel so much better with it just sitting right on the edge. So of instead of Ducky and Blazing Cell, Ducky, Ducky, where'd you go? It's like, Gunny, Gunny, where'd you go? Oh, my Gunny, oh, my Gunny. Yeah, a massive yeah. bummer. Massive yeah. bummer. And then there's Takeshi69, who has not one, but two major documentaries about him. And yeah. as far as I can I, tell, has no discernible musical talent. And he will even say the same thing. I think he's a brilliant visual artist, but I think the dude is a troll artist. He's a social media. Rap. He's the Jake Paul of hip hop. Yeah. If you can even call him hip hop, but he's a fascinating character, but I don't think he has anything to do with the healthy, healthy musical genre. But, yeah. um, you know, anyway, that, those are still, things. I'm shocked. He's still, he's still alive. But, um, I think he's going to be live to be a thousand, man. I think he's one of these guys that's going to just dance on everybody's grave, like yeah, you know, yeah. like it, 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 it's he's going to be like Bob Hope, just being terrible, you know, right up to hey, whoa, know. whoa, whoa, easy. Well, Bob Hope was not a nice man. I'm I'm a fan, an admirer, but nobody liked Bob Hope. I, say, I don't say I mean, he's not a nice man, but he's who is worse in your opinion, Bob Hope or Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis or Jerry Lee Lewis? Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, who's worse? Why do you have that's to think about easy. You should have thought about That's easy. Yeah. You, think, you think Jerry Lewis is worse? He's clearly as a person. worse. As a person. Really? Totally. I don't think Bob Hope had any self-awareness or you know capacity to be as awful as Jerry Lewis. Because Jerry Lewis, I feel like, was like an artist at one point. Like, you an know, artist of, of misery. You know, if you're into that kind of thing, which I never have been, but but as a genre, it seems to have held up. But anyway, King of I comedy. <laughs> yeah, you got a sliver of that is like jeez, a, a great movie, and, and then you find out that he was not in on the joke, like yeah. that they would have to shoot his scenes like seventy times to break his will. It was like every single shoot was a Phil Spector session, you know, where <laughs> just Martin Scorsese breaking it. But anyway. That's it for this episode of Let It Roll and our entire We Dig Hip Hop Evolution series. So next, Metal Evolution. That's I will, right. I will get you the links again. and Get me the correct link. No, this, there was no again. You just said some name. Links again. Links again. I will send you the links. I will send them return receipt requested, my friend. You and, didn't send me any link. You maybe you sent it to a link. Uh, no, 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 no. But anyway. Thanks for listening. That's it. <laughs> Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, 
Nate will return to kick off the 12th season of Let It Roll with guest Tony Plews, author of Walk a Lonely Street, Elvis Presley, Country Music, and the True Story of Heartbreak Hotel. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Edward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.